A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 245 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends as well as canon, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes as well as Stitcher and now Spotify, and right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at SW Beyond Films. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Herleman. And with me, like the idea of the Falcon being a hunk of junk, the EU guru himself, the count of our two continuities, Mr. Nathan P. Butler. Does that mean I'm misunderstood? Maybe? Possibly? Because I'm not a hunk of... Well, no, no, no. I am getting the dad bod and getting older. I did just pass 40 a while back, so... Yeah, yeah. I just thought it was an indicator that you're on fire. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, what's left of me is on fire. Um, Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so this is the one we've been waiting for for a while. Uh, We're doing the beginning of our year in review for 2019, which will probably take us a while because we do have uh, three or four episodes for this. Probably three. We'll just have to see. Uh, And then we got the feedback episode coming up. And then, uh, yeah, probably some more stuff from there. I've got a feeling... We may be needing to transition a little bit more towards uh, topic-based shows as opposed to review-based stuff because lately being able to do review-based stuff is difficult given the fact that it's almost impossible for us to actually do anything review-wise in a timely fashion. Um, you know, it's just – it's tough. It is it is very tough, but we'd like to you know still be able to keep going. I, I've toyed with the idea a few times recently of saying, you know what, maybe it's time to retire from podcasting for a while. Because what good am I if I'm not playing the games to record with Michael? What good am I uh, if we're not able to get a time to record much of the time? Um, but I'm trying to stick with it, trying to stick with it. I like being the longest-lasting, uh, continuous Star Wars podcaster, at least in English. I think maybe at all. I'm not sure. Depends on uh, if Danny and them ever took a break in French-language stuff for Star Wars on Direct. Um, but I kind of like being able to say that. I'd rather not have to give that up, but uh, yeah, so so we'll keep trying to put out episodes. Just bear with us as it may be quite a bit apart uh, sometimes, but we're still trying to keep this thing going, and the year in reviews are, I know are, are always a favorite, so here we are getting a bit further into January and recording our uh, 2019 year in review that'll probably take us at least into February, if not later, depending on when we record next, but we're here. We're doing it. It's about time. Mm-hmm. That's right. Here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars, and so do we. This episode, we take a look once again back over the previous year of Star Wars Publishing. This episode, we'll be focusing on the novels of 2019, with our next episode being the comics, and the one to follow being the games, television, and the uh, other stuff. Now consider this your spoiler warning, Sentience and Beyonders of All Ages, because here we go on another adventure... Beyond the Films. 
Yes, and this year was... It was a year in Star Wars publishing. It certainly was a year. Can't really say it was a great year, but it wasn't necessarily a bad year either. It just feels like, to me, it was one of those years that was just kind of there. Um, We got some good stuff, some stuff that uh, we were particularly happy to see, some stuff that was kind of meh, and a little bit of everything in between. But I don't know that this will ever go down as like a banner year in Star Wars publishing, but uh, we shall see. So I've divided this up as I broke down a list for both of us to use here into the adult stuff, the young adult stuff, uh, the young reader stuff, kind of separating that out from young adult, and then the guides and just oddball stuff. And bear in mind, there's a lot of stuff left off the list, things like sticker books and learn to read books. So you can focus on the stuff that is more likely to be of interest to people who are, you know, following this podcast as we go. So we will start here with the adult novels coming out of Del Rey. And this year we saw a few and uh, again, kind of a mixed bag here. Uh, just running through, and then we'll talk about whichever ones we want to discuss here. We had Master and Apprentice, which we did an episode of uh, this show about. We had Alphabet Squadron, which is the first book in the Alphabet Squadron trilogy, but just called Alphabet Squadron. We had Resistance Reborn, part of the journey to Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. We had Thrawn Treason, the last of the three original Thrawn trilogy novels of this canon. We had Galaxy's Edge Black Spire. And then we had the oddball of the audio drama release of Dooku Jedi Lost, which then eventually had a script book released, which in this case, since audio dramas don't have a separate category for us, we kind of plop right here into the books category. You know, it's it's a mixed bag for me because like there were a lot of books here that I really enjoyed when I was reading them. And then when we sat down, you know, I mean, it's been a while since we got to sit down and, and talk about these things. And I'm just like, man. What, what do I remember about these books? Like, I remember Thrawn Treason. I felt like that was a really good book, but I am drawing the biggest blank on what happened in that story. Uh, Master and Apprentice, absolutely love that one. That one is probably, of this list, one of my, my top-tier books. Uh, I, I started out with that one not quite enjoying uh, the different take on the relationship between Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon, you know, because Jude Watson had done such a good job of going from Obi-Wan being age 14 all the way up to 18. This book kind of jumps in right at 18, and they weren't really on this the most solid of uh, foundations of a master and apprentice. So that was a little tough at first. But once I got about halfway through that book, probably probably not even halfway, like as I started to get near the halfway point, I couldn't put it down. It got really good. Uh, and by the time I got to the end of the book, I was really impressed with the story. Um, so I was very, I think that one's one of my highest ones. And uh, Resistance Reborn, that one was the last one that I remember reading. That one was really good. Um, the, the only downside I had with that one was the lack of tie-in to the film. Like I was really, like I didn't watch the films before going in. I read Resistance Reborn because it was a tie to the Rise of Skywalker. I thought, okay, you know, maybe they'll, I, sh- I should have known better, Nate. I should have known better. The, the Journey 2 books have been any thing but why did i think this one was going to be a damn exception i don't know um but i totally fell for it uh that one i thought was a really good book there was a couple moments in there that i think that they could have allowed for some better connectivity between that one and the other one i mean don't get me wrong rebecca roanhorse did a very good job of tying in so much material in this book um but when we get to watching rise of skywalker and very mild rise of skywalker spoiler here the first moment we're in introduced to leia ray calls her master and i absolutely love that moment in the film 
but I immediately thought they could have easily started that seed in Resistance Reborn because in Resistance Reborn, Rey is just delegated basically to being Leia's bodyguard. She doesn't want to leave Leia's side. She wants to make sure Leia's safe. And I mean, it worked for the story, but I, I just keep thinking like how easy it could have been to have a scene between Leia and Rey where Leia's like, you know, we need to, we need to pick up where Luke left off with your training and Luke, you know, trained me. Um, and I'm going to pick up and we're going to finish your, what we started. And I, I, I think that that was a missed opportunity. Um, let's see. Uh, like I said, Thrawn Treason. I, I enjoyed that book. I don't remember much about it right now. And the same, unfortunately, happened for Alphabet Squadron. Um, Alphabet Squadron was a book that I was enjoying. And it had a lot of promise. It has a lot of potential. And it is part of a trilogy. So I'm looking forward to what comes later. But I feel like they played everything too safe. Like... There were characters in there that just weren't really fleshed out enough. They weren't really described. Like, like it was almost like the least amount that they gave you was kind of what we just recycled over and over again. Uh, there were some characters that never really got any description at all. Uh, so that uh, kind of bothered me. But I, I like the idea of what they're doing with Alphabet Squadron because, in a sense, Alphabet Squadron is almost the Wraith Squadron of canon. Um, so I'm looking forward to the opportunities there if they decide to play with those more. And I think that that's one of the things I would like to see more with a lot of what Delray is doing is picking up on your stories with cross-authors. Like right now, it's, it's, it's great with one author picking up on their threads. But what Rebecca Roanhorse did in Resistance Reborn, I would like to see other authors doing, picking up more of those threads from other books from other authors and tying those in. You know, I mean, that was part of the thing I loved the most about Legends was when you had uh, Alston, Stackpole, and Zahn all picking off each other's stories. And, you know, all of a sudden these characters were showing up in those other stories. So that was a really exciting one for me. Galaxy's Edge Black Spire, I, you know, I really enjoyed that one. I think out of all these books, that's probably the one story that really stuck with me the most probably even more so than Resistance Reborn, which Resistance Reborn was the last one I read less than a month ago. Um, but Black Spire, I, I really enjoyed the tale. I didn't realize when I got it that it was basically like a, a pseudo-sequel to Phasma, uh, that the character that was being tortured in there with uh, uh, Captain Cardinal and Captain Cardinal himself coming over into that story and, and being some of the main characters, I really enjoyed it. Uh, one of the things about it that, that, that strikes me as funny, you know, because I like to pick at things and stuff is black spire also kind of establishes a disney uh continuity air at batu and in, in galaxy's edge because this book establishes that it happens after the last jedi right so the last jedi's happened the resistance is down to like 20 plus people leia sends off uh v mordali off to uh to Batu to set up a resistance base, like a fallback base, basically, or a recruiting base to do some training and stuff. All fine and good, right? Except for if you go to Batu and you walk on that base, you see the Millennium Falcon parked there. Yeah, that's awesome. Except for this is after The Last Jedi and after that new rectangular dish on the Falcon has been knocked off. And yet, what's on the Falcon? That damn rectangular dish. And when Kylo Ren shows up, who was alluded to at the end of the book, Black Spire is coming. When we see Kylo Ren at Black Spire at Batu, he's wearing the helmet that he destroyed in The Last Jedi. It's not the one that he rebuilt. So like, I'm hoping down the road Disney Parks fixes some of that stuff to be more in line. Because you can't go back and just change the basis of the story now. To be like, well, that doesn't work with the park. So, I mean, we got that, that issue of the levels of continuity that do but don't exist so like this book like made that brought that to my forefront but i really enjoyed the story it also helped me get over one of the issues that i had with rise of skywalker which was when all the people of the galaxy came to help the resistance 
this book kind of gives you an idea of why that would have came about because you do have a backwater planet. You have people that are on the fence. They don't want to pick a side with the first order or the resistance. They want to stay neutral. And, you know, V points out, you know, you can't stay neutral. Once they show up, that's step one of their conquering process. They are going to conquer you and you have to stand up or you will get just beat down, trampled upon and just beat to dust. Uh, so I really like that one. Jedi lost from uh, the Dooku one. Oh God, dude, I did not get a copy of that and i'm still like i was hoping for christmas that was like the one thing i told all my family guys guys i'm not getting a review copy of this can you guys get me that and they still don't get it i gotta find it now because i can't find it at any of the local stores um that one excited me because like when it first came out and it was an audiobook i was like man i hope they do like they did with the harry potter one and, and do like a, a script book or something and i was right like they did and that, I, that really excites me because that's a story that i have heard a lot of good things about um and dooku has always been a character that i found intriguing both in legends and in canon so, like, the more we know about his backstory and stuff, the more I feel like, you know, you get that background story of what you lost, in a sense, with uh, Darth Plagueis, right? Because you got a good idea of what was going on with Sidious and Dooku and Maul and, you know, all the Sith angle from that book in Legends. And we really don't have anything like that in canon right now. Uh, you know, now with the saga being over, I'd love to see him go back and tell, like, an origin story of the Sith. Because the Sith in Legends was such a convoluted process. It wasn't just like, oh, well, they were just a, a, a schism of the Jedi. No, there was, there was a race, there was an offshoot. I mean, it was so convoluted that over thousands of years, they evolved so many times that it was an interesting take on the Sith. But I don't know if canon will go that same direction. I think canon may just simplify it. And then I think about things that I saw and heard in uh, Rise of Skywalker where Sidious was talking about, you know, you know the pr- uh, apprentice will strike down the master and then we'll become more powerful, which, which immediately to me, like, it was almost like it made the rule of two make more sense to me because not only are you training someone that's going to replace you, but in a sense, you're replacing a new host body but it's not you. So, like, uh, when Sidious takes over Plagueis, right? It's like Plagueis is now a new being with Sidious, but Sidious is now in control, but he's got more knowledge. Like, I, I to me, that was kind of what it seemed like Sidious was laying out there in Rise of Skywalker, which I think has more implications for in the past and stuff. Like, when you think about the Darth Bane books and stuff, and when they had the fight between uh, Bane and his apprentice Zana, and at the, it ended, and you're just like... Whose, whose personality, you know, whose soul is in charge of the body? And the author writes, you know, no, it was Zana that, that Bane was gone, but there was something still left of Bane. And the idea of that makes a lot more sense to me as a Sith Lord. Like, if you're a Sith Lord and you want to be the biggest baddest, why would you want to train anybody to replace you, especially if you have the knowledge to stay alive forever? Well, it makes sense if you were going to be using that person as a host body, in a sense, and you're also giving up. I mean, it's almost kind of a selfless act on the Sith because you're giving up a part of yourself to become something new, something even more evil and something even more powerful. I mean, that's kind of like getting a reward from the dark side for being a good kid. I, I, I don't know. That's one of those things like these books definitely intrigued me in a lot of ways, but there was no big event uh, you know, things like that. I think that's probably why Black Spire is probably one of my favorites, the ones that I remember the most, because I'm so looking forward to going to Batu that when I was reading that book, I was eating up all the details. Um, but that's what I think that we need from the publishers right now is just some events that are rooted in the galaxy that have some lasting ramifications that we can touch back on. If you're not going to be doing like what Rebecca Roanhorse did with Resistance Reborn and tying in the books that way, then you need to have an event that's going to tie things in the way that Jakku did. Um, and, and I think with Jakku, like they, 
were so worried about giving too many details about the films that they cut back on the things that they wanted to give the readers. And so I don't feel like the, that event in the publishing realm worked as good as it could have. But now that the saga films are over, I think that there is an opportunity for the books to really pick up and hit the ground running and just take the story in new directions and really fulfill a lot of these fan dreams of, we need some more details, man. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. How you feel, man? Well, that was a lot. Um, I will say that I feel like we do need more exploration. We do need more information, particularly as we relate back to what you were talking about relating to uh, Palpatine and Rise of Skywalker. But I do think you're getting a bit ahead of yourself with the whole idea of, you know, Plagueis transferring to Palpatine or Palpatine wanting to transfer, etc. Because it seems as though that was not something Palpatine knew had to knew how to do prior to the end of the prequels. Because that was all stuff that, according to the Visual Dictionary, he starts exploring and learning more about in the gap between trilogies. But... I don't know, because they haven't said anything outside of guides, and we know that the guides aren't necessarily going to always be reliable anymore because sometimes a new film will come along and change something, like Palpatine was aware of Snoke back in the background in the Unknown Regions. Well, he wasn't aware of him. Apparently, he made the guy. So unless he found a guy who already existed and then started to clone him and use him, what the hell? But anyway, uh, Master and Apprentice... I didn't expect to particularly be all that interested in, as we talked about whenever we did the episode. Turned out to be something I really enjoyed. Uh, I think that the dynamic we see between Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon works. Uh, It'd be nice to see them a little bit younger and see a little bit more out of it, but we haven't yet. At least not in this continuity. And it was cool to see some of the ties backward to Dooku and the idea that, in essence, kind of Dooku and Qui-Gon both had an interest in similar things. And while Qui-Gon was able to essentially have that sort of in the back of his mind so that he would know what he was seeing when he saw Anakin, that he didn't let it corrupt him, essentially. Whereas Dooku, his studies slowly but surely are what drew him to the point where he would break with the Jedi, to the point where he would become a Sith, and so on. So, interesting to see that dynamic. Uh, It's not just, well, Dooku was sick of what the Jedi Order was doing, and he was, you know, chatting with Palpatine too much and just decided to bail. It was something much more personal tied to it, at least in the early days of what might have shaped his thought process. I thought that was kind of a cool way to play it back and forth. Because no matter how, you know, galactically sprawling these stories get... It's the human connection, it's the the interaction between the individuals that really is sort of the heart of the story and makes it relatable. And that was something that the old Legends books tended to do very well. Give us a big, galaxy-spanning, important event, but also at the same time show us what's happening in the development of the characters within it. Whereas now it tends to be that the novels will tend to focus on just the characterization and the character building and the backstory of some characters without necessarily giving us major events. This didn't feel like it was a major event. But it was good on that same sense of giving us that character development um, and backstory, kind of like what the novel Tarkin did, for example. Um, Alphabet Squadron, I really, really wanted to love Alphabet Squadron because I adored the X-Wing books. They were outstanding. Michael Stackpole's stuff was great, and then Aaron Alston's stuff just came in and set a new standard, knocking it out of the park. Some of the most action-packed books with characters you really cared about who weren't mostly from the films, so these were characters that were built in the books, and yet you still drew uh, so much connection to them, and funny as hell. Starfighters of Adumar means nothing in the grand scheme of continuity, but it's funny as hell. Yub yub, <laughs> Commander, and all that kind of stuff. Or, the, or was it, you know, we're going to, you know, stab each other with our pointy things, oh good, everyone's dead, or whatever the heck it is when they're mocking it. Um, Alston was amazing. 
when it came to that kind of stuff. And the idea of seeing a new series coming that was going to be an X-Wing-based series or a Starfighter Squadron-based series, because the whole idea of Alphabet Squadron is it's different types of Starfighters combined into a squadron um, with the versatility of all the different types of ships, that struck me as something that would be pretty cool. Maybe it'll capture the spirit of X-Wing, and that's kind of how people were talking about it. Only this was Alexander Freed. And Alexander Freed, with Star Wars novels, is kind of known for being the dour, war-is-hell kind of guy. So it tends to be very dark, um, like Battlefront uh, Twilight Company, for example. Uh, so I was kind of wondering where this perhaps was going to go. I wanted to give it a chance. I was excited enough to pick it up and start reading it as soon as a copy arrived. And I was extremely disappointed in Alphabet Squadron. I felt like Alphabet Squadron squandered all of its promise, all of the, the possibilities that could have come from building up something like what we saw with X-Wing when the squadron was being reconstituted, or the, the way that Wraith Squadron came together and was constituted, and all these disparate personalities having to come together and work together and seeing how they fit. And I think that's kind of what he was trying to do here, bringing all these characters together into the squadron based on their circumstances. The problem was not a single character in that squadron, maybe not a single character in that book, was at all likable. These were some real assholes. <laughs> I pretty much couldn't stand the vast majority of characters in this book. Um, as a result, it was hard for me to care about anything that was happening to them. Um, the ending gives us sort of a, you know, a reason why one of the characters is dealing with more guilt than otherwise. And part of that just, they're sort of like what's being told to us about what the character did and when they left the Empire. And then it turns out that they actually left at a different time because they didn't just know about something that was going on. They took part in something that was going on, and that's what did it. And one, they didn't do a very good job of spelling that out so that when that twist came, people knew what the hell was the difference between what we thought had happened and what would actually what had actually happened because they didn't touch on it often enough or really deal as much with it. Um, you kind of had to read the book in like one or two sittings to realize that that was the twist uh, without having to really think about it once you got there. Um, and if I had cared about that character at all, maybe it would have been an emotional blow. I had a little bit of a reaction to it, but I know without a shadow of a doubt, I would have had a greater emotional reaction to it if I didn't think the character was a piece of crap to begin with. God, these characters were unlikable. Well, there were so like, many of them. Yeah, it, it, it's like the goal of the book was create the most unlikable set of characters possible and throw them into a squadron, and let's see if we can still sell the book. Well, apparently they did, because there's going to be two more. Also, let me add to this for Alphabet Squadron the biggest pet peeve that'll probably come up in the next episode, too, which is, this is a special crossover event with Marvel Comics, because yeah. they have a TIE Fighter miniseries. Bullshit! <laughs> Bullshit! In no way was that a crossover. None! Okay, this is a shared universe... Star Wars is a shared universe, meaning that you'll have characters that, you know, sometimes show up here, sometimes show up there. Um, they might show up in another comic later because they all exist in the same universe. It's not like once you get past that book, they stop existing, although that seems to be the case for many of the writers right now. It's not supposed to be like that, right? Mm -hmm. So the idea is it's supposed to be this crossover tie-in. You get one character from the novel one main character for the novel who shows up in one little epilogue piece for a moment talking to one of the characters in the story, in the main story of the TIE Fighter comic, and it turns out that it's the same name of the squadron that uh, one of the characters was coming from and that they're going up against, but none of the characters within it are the same except for the, the old lady who runs things. 
No, that's not a crossover. I'm sorry. In no way is that a crossover. Not in a shared universe like this. Okay? There's not a character crossover kind of thing going on, minus that brief little couple of, like, almost cameo minor appearances. There's no story connection between the two. It'd be like saying that if I do, uh, it'd be like saying that the X-Wing novels and the X-Wing comics were a crossover because it was the same squadron with some of the same characters. But even then, it was way more of the same characters than in this case. It made no sense to market it that way except to just dupe people into thinking it was something it was not to be able to get people to start spending money on it. Marvel and Del Rey should be ashamed of themselves for calling that a crossover event and for marketing it that way. That was absolute horseshit. Absolute. And I know, I'm sorry, I know we got some family members who, uh, like young people who watch the show or listen to the show, but for real, the fact that I'm saying it that way should get across just how pissed off I am at what they did with Alphabet Squadron and otherwise. And hopefully Alphabet Squadron will wind up being like the Aftermath books where the first one was god-awful and the other two wind up being great because we already know the characters, perhaps, if they manage to make the characters likable at all. Or maybe the characters are still in it, but we get some other new characters in the second book who realize how awful the first ones are and are mocking them for it or something, going, dang, you guys just get a grip. What is wrong with you people? And then maybe we follow the new characters. Um, mm -hmm. Resistance Reborn is the flip side. I was kind of like, okay, it's Journey to the Rise of Skywalker. Most of the time when they do that with these books, yeah, it's not going to connect hardly at all. Uh, it's not going to be all that interesting of a book. And most novels put out by Del Rey, as opposed to by Disney Lucasfilm Press, most of the ones being put out by Del Rey, it seems like the authors don't bother to do their homework to connect the works to other media. They love connecting to the TV shows and the movies. But they very rarely connect to other novels or very rarely connect to other comics unless the writer was involved in one of those other stories, and that's the only one they connect to. What we have with Resistance Reborn is something that feels like an old-school Legends novel. A writer, who in this case was new to Star Wars, uh, a writer who did their homework and actually gave a damn about the idea that things are supposed to connect together. This is a connected, growing universe where these novels and comics are also canon, not just the movies and the TV shows. So we had references and connections to things like the Poe Dameron comics and elsewhere. Tons of connections to the, to the Battlefront 2 video game and so on and so on. All these connections so that it's a story that stood on its own and was enjoyable on its own as a, as a bridge between Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker, but actually managed to show that the galaxy was connected and that those other stories could matter. It was essentially the web of connections we expected to see in most novels in canon, but rarely ever do, which is something that the Legends continuity did to an extreme degree many times. Resistance Reborn felt for canon like the beginning of New Jedi Order did or Legacy of the Force did, or the Legacy Comics did in Legends. Not in terms of tone, but the fact that it was a story that built significantly on stuff that had come before and understood that it was supposed to matter. I was incredibly impressed by Resistance Reborn. Then I saw Rise of Skywalker, and I'm ready to, to flip off someone, because, again, as you were saying, the, the, the connection is supposed to be there, but we we got this blockade runner. No, that's, that's not actually the blockade runner that's in the film. The one in the film is Tantive 4, actually the Tantivy 4. Um, and that was actually uh, rescued 
from like some imperial or former imperial guy who was on that planet with the junked ships that we saw back in one of the the early episodes once Ezra cut his hair in Rebels and stuff where we lost the Phantom One. Yeah, that's that's not actually the same one. Or um, the idea of hey, you know, we went out and we just found all these people who were supposed to help us, which makes sense as you said for the end of the episode, uh, episode nine. But then Poe's like, we sent out a call and no one came. We're so screwed. And I'm sitting back saying, you already know why they didn't come. You knew they were being rounded up. You just did that in the last story, you jerk. Because, again, nobody's communicating the way that they should. There is no grand plan behind it. So here is this story that's supposed to open the door for us to see a bigger resistance in Rise of Skywalker as opposed to just a ship full of resistance like we saw at the end of Last Jedi, which had to have been designed specifically to make the resistance larger. But then here's Poe griping about what we now know, if it's all canon, supposedly, is not actually true. It wasn't. They just didn't come. They didn't come because most of them had been rounded up. You can't put that on them, and that shouldn't be a reason for you to be down. If you say, you know, they've rounded up most of our allies, so we don't know if anyone's coming. We think we may still be alone. We've only rescued a few. Fine. That makes sense. But in context of Resistance Reborn, what Poe actually says in Rise of Skywalker doesn't make sense. But that, of course, because we know how canon actually usually tends to work as opposed to how it's purported to work, basically means that the film is going to have to have some type of retcon to make them connect, or we're just going to assume that probably eh, the book takes a backseat, because that typically is the way that they handle contradictions between levels of canon, even though there's not supposed to be different levels of canon anymore. Um, So Resistance Reborn was something that I loved when it came out, and the fact that it's able to connect so much stuff, but it feels like this lead-up to Rise of Skywalker, somebody along the way was dropping the ball, and not allowing it to really connect. It was sort of one of those, here's some things expect to see in the sh- in the, the movie, like more people in the Resistance, go ahead and give us an explanation if you like, without actually bothering to see if it made sense with it, which is what, in theory, you would expect someone within the story group to have done. Um, just like you've got Matt Martin out there talking about how in the comics there was that uh, scene in the Darth Vader, uh, I think it's Fortress Vader, where you see a, a vision or a force trip basically that Vader's having, and it looks like Palpatine is reaching over Shmi as she's pregnant, and people were taking it to mean that Shmi uh, was impregnated through the Force by Palpatine, as opposed to just being that he was manipulating situations um, early on, and she had just, you know, still had that old, you know, virgin birth, or whatever you want to call it, immaculate, instead of blah, blah, blah. Um, but this idea of... Um, uh, of Matt Martin coming out and saying, no, that's not what it meant. And in fact, if that was what the author intended it to mean, we would have axed it and not allowed it into the story. So somebody's paying attention on some level within the story group to stuff like this that are sort of minute details but references. And yet this got through as the plot of a story that then doesn't fit with the film. Dooku Jedi Lost, I've listened to most of. I think it's intriguing. I need to listen to the rest of it, and I haven't really flipped through the script book. Uh, it's one of those things that I can listen to, except typically it's going to be me listening to it like in the shower or something, so it's a few minutes at a time, or listening while I'm driving a few minutes at a time. I need to just you know, make it a point to make that the main thing that I listen to uh, for a while, like maybe on one of my long work commutes or something, uh, to be able to get through most of it a couple of times. Um, Thrawn Treason I thought was better than 
the previous book, primarily because Eli Vanto was back. So we had someone else who could relate to Thrawn on that level back. Uh, and Thrawn, at least so far, still feels more like Sherlock Holmes than he does some demigod who can, you know, is omnip- omniscient, essentially, the way that it seemed like he was by the end of some of the uh, later uh, Thrawn novels by Zahn in Legends. So uh, I thought that was all right. Um, I don't think the Grisks ever really lived up to the threat that they supposedly presented. They're nothing like the idea that there's this terrible, terrible thing out in the unknown regions. Oh, no. Hopefully that wasn't supposed to be the Grisks because that seems like their threat was over-exaggerated. But we'll see because we're going to get more with the Thrawn character later with that sort of prequel novel series. And then Black Spire, I actually really enjoyed. Vi Moradi, pretty cool. Um, I think the thing with... That feels very shoehorned right now is everybody's mentioning Batu. Everybody's got to make a side mention of Batu. It was mentioned in Resistance recently. Everybody's got to mention Batu to get people interested in going to Galaxy's Edge at the Disney theme parks. And sometimes that's going to give you a story that's bleh, and you're like, what? And sometimes it's just going to be, here's a cool setting. Let's give you a good story in that setting to get you interested enough that maybe you'll feel like it's a special thing when you do maybe get to go visit Disney at some point. Or if you've been to Disney, maybe it'll feel familiar and kind of cool that you see it because Vi, for instance, is running around as someone in costume actually at the park. Um, Black Spire managed to do that. They managed to give us a story that actually was really quite engaging that happened to be on Batu to give us a reason to maybe care about that whenever we go in, uh, to the theme park and whatnot. As opposed to, say, the comics that just felt like they were using it to cash in because the comic was pretty awful that tied into Galaxy's Edge. If there's one unforgivable thing for Black Spire, it's the fact that it kind of makes you need to read Phasma. And <laughs> Phasma was awful. <laughs> and, you know, like Lord of the Flies meets, you know, any kind of lost in the desert kind of just, 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 just yeah. Phasma, not my cup of tea. And yet, <laughs> without Phasma... With Cardinal and Vi, you're not going to get as much out of their uh, interaction within the Black Spire novel. And the Black Spire novel is good enough that I would definitely recommend it, which kind of sidelong means recommending Phasma. Kind of like recommending the latter two Aftermath books means recommending the first one, even though it wasn't very good. Um, So it's a very mixed bag this year for me. And what you mentioned about Batu kind of resonates with me because, like, you think about the fact that after The Last Jedi, there's like almost 20 people left that are you know known members of the resistance and then leia sends by off to reestablish a base this base basically is like the new capital for the resistance because they really don't have any other bases so you know it getting more prominent knowledge in that regard does kind of make sense you know like everybody's going to batu why well because it's the only place we really got a base right now <laughs> not like what we had on ryloth and not what we had over in this other place but we actually have a legitimate base over here so i mean at least that i guess makes a little more sense Right, which leads us to the young adult books. And in young adult books, we actually had four main ones this year. I guess four. It's three, and then I kind of shoehorn one in here because I'm not quite sure where else to put it. We had Queen's Shadow, the Padme novel. We had Force Collector. We had A Crash of Fate, which is another Galaxy's Edge tie-in. And we had Myths and Fables. Again, Myths and Fables being the one that I've kind of shoehorned in here because I'm not quite sure where else to place it. See, okay, now Myth and Fables, I actually enjoyed the hell out of that one. That one had a lot of really cool and fun little stories. Uh, It touched on some Sith Lords from the past. Um, And in fact, I think those are probably my favorite stories. Uh, The one with the statue of the the Ryloth Sith that tried to uh, turn his master to stone, but ended up his master figured it out first and 
changed the spell so he turned himself into stone. Like there was the dark wraith and all this other cool stuff. Like I really got a kick out of that. Uh, the dragon, like that was pretty much just Obi Wan. I, I don't know. There was a lot of really cool, fun stories in that one. Um, and I think that there's a sequel book to that coming out this year that I'm looking forward to as well. I'm just like, ooh, that was a lot of fun. Um, a Crash of Fate. I'm currently reading that one. Um, haven't got too far into it, but I, I like the feel of it. Um, it's got a, a beautiful cover. And I, I want to say that's one of the other things about these books is, you know, they, I like the size of them. They're not too big. They're not too small. Uh, Queen's Shadow. I didn't get that one as a review copy because that one and Queen's Peril, I think before that, for some reason, I wasn't getting those ones. Uh, but we got that fixed. So I was able to get the, uh, the Myths and Fables, Crash of Fate. Um, and what's the other one? There's one more there. Oh, Force Collector. Yeah, that one. I actually really enjoyed the hell out of that one. That one was a lot of fun. Um, I didn't realize where it was set because, you know, a lot of the books are still kind of playing it loose with where their settings are. They're not like hard dating them and stuff, um, which which I think goes back to Alphabet Squadron. Like, I would have loved to have a character list for that. I know I've been throwing that at Del Rey and, and at Star Wars as often as I can. You're going to give us back those character lists? Like, those are very integral for people that can't track so many more than five characters. Um, but Force Collector was a real fun little ride. It, it just dealt with the main character and his best friends slash romance interest from school uh and then going on a, an adventure and him having his own little droid and it was the adventures themselves that were a lot of fun like we found out that uh, maz kanata had han's medallion right and then you find out through the force vision that he has no it's not really han's it was actually luke's and he was pulling a fast one on her like oh that's like the character has the ability that quinlan voss has or at least that was kind of the I got I pretty much felt like it was the exact same ability he just was learning about it in a different way which felt a lot like I Jedi when Coran Horn was learning about how to use defense and stuff and his circles of responsibility and stuff or when you think about Jaina when she was learning how to do the force mind wipe and she was using a clock in her mind to do it and stuff like just the different takes that each individual Jedi and force user would take to do their abilities and you go along with the character as he learns his and he perfects his. And I think one of the coolest moments for me was when he gets C-3PO's arm, the one that was lost that was replaced with the red arm. Oh, you might not recognize me with this red arm. When he gets a hold of that, he gets all the answers that he's been looking for because he'd been, he'd been seeing this Skywalker and this Kenobi and, you know, he was seeing all these other things from things he touched. And one of the best moments aside from him touching the 3PO arm and getting the full history was when he touched the uh, Jedi Sentinel mask or the Guardian mask from uh, the temple when Nightfall happened. And he witnesses Anakin coming and cutting the guy down. And I was immediately thinking, like, you know, when you watch Episode 3 and you watch that moment and stuff, you forget about the fact that there were all these temple guards there because they were added to the mythos later, you know, in the Clone Wars. But they were there. And Anakin went through them. I would love to see some kind of flashback where we get more of that, where we see more of what Anakin had to do to help the 501st take out an entire order of Jedi. You know, because like this isn't like the Clone Wars where they just immediately execute Order 66 and surprise, we'll shoot you in the back, fool. No, these guys knew what was coming. They had an idea. They could feel the presence of the Force. They could sense death knocking at their door. And if they didn't, they sure as hell did after the first 15 minutes. So, I mean, you've got the temple. 
And there's all these places you can border up and stuff. I mean, you see the little uh, Padawans, Master Skywalker, there's too many of them. Because they're up at the top, like, they're at the last holdout. You know, when Anakin gets there, he's chopped up a lot of people. And I would kind of like to see that more. So I really enjoyed the aspect of the flashbacks from the character when he was grabbing things. And the interactions between him and his droid, it was a really good book. Really enjoyed it a lot, actually. So I've checked out three of these. I actually haven't read Myths and Fables yet. It's sitting there in my stack of stuff to read, but again, reading physical books is very difficult for me to get time to actually do right now. Um, Put that one other, in your bathroom. It's perfect for that kind of reading. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Um, the other three I have checked out. Um, Queen Shadow I thought was pretty good. It's one of those that, looking back on it, I barely remember much of it. Um, but it's one of those that gives us good insight into a young Padme, but I think more than anything else, it's insight into the handmaidens that makes the difference. Um, the individual handmaidens, how they get their names, um, who they are outside of what they're doing uh, as her handmaiden, like their their personalities. Uh, a bit more about why it works the way that it does. Why is her clothes as elaborate as it is? Um, how is it made to also protect her? All that kind of stuff was great. So it's great insight into Padme and those around her. I'm not sure how much it mattered as much from a story standpoint, but I really dug the fact that now we've got more of that so that when we do see, for instance, uh, Phantom Menace with the handmaidens running around and the whole switcheroo thing, it makes more sense and has some great context to it. Or when we see uh, the handmaiden die in that same kind of switcheroo at the beginning of Attack of the Clones, it feels like it matters more, uh, as opposed to them just being these faceless characters that you're like, okay, whatever, why should I care? Um, care a little bit more. Uh, Crash of Fate, I actually, it's funny, I really enjoyed Clash of Fate, but I shouldn't have. Because looking at Clash of Fate, uh, it does a few things that usually rankle with me. One is just shoehorning a standard cross star, uh, star-crossed lovers type thing into Star Wars, when every step of the way, it's utterly predictable. Everything about it is incredibly predictable it's standard young adult oh look here's the future couple type of book that you've ever seen um so uh very generic in many respects um very predictable the other thing it does is uh cordova who is the the author um is one of the first, if not the first, people of her particular heritage, though I forget what it is off the top of my head, so I'm not going to speak specifically to it, um, to be writing for Star Wars. And that's kind of a thing, right? kind of a big deal. Um, but in the process, she does a lot of, we're going to take these Star Wars names and make sure that you can tell these are like designed after that heritage of names. Um, like the, the names in some cases didn't feel very Star Warsy. They felt more Latin American than they felt Star Warsy in some cases. Or like Latin American, let's change a letter or two. Not to say that Han and Luke and so forth all don't feel like very white names or European names. Um, but it's this idea of it seemed like in trying to get representation, she was really kind of forcing that into the thing. And weirdly enough, all of that still somehow worked for me. I felt like the way that she did the naming, some people were really frustrated by it, really annoyed by it. But I felt like, whether intentional or not, she managed to automatically sort of use certain types of naming that rang in our minds as modern-day real-world people as sounding Central American or South American, for instance. Um, it made us, I think, sort of get an easy image in our minds of these characters, particularly um, the main female character of the book. It gave us that, 
without having to go into these long, drawn-out, oh, and her skin was this, and she this, and her hair was this type of imagery, which is touched on a little bit, but very quickly were able to give us that. Now, is it the writer using certain stereotypical-sounding names to pull on a stereotype to help us get a mental image quicker? Yes. But it worked in this case. Um, I was very surprised by how well it worked. Um, so, I don't know, I for some reason, that thing that usually feels so forced even though it was kind of forced in this case, felt like it worked. Um, same thing with how predictable it was. I found that as predictable as it was and as generic as it was, as much as this could have been any sci-fi series, yank Star Wars out of it, and you would barely notice that it was gone. Um, that somehow the characters were interesting enough and engaging enough, and their interactions felt human enough, especially for that age, to draw me into it. To make a comparison, um, the classic Star-Crossed Lover story is what? Romeo and Juliet. Okay, Romeo and Juliet comes across not as something that feels very human to me reading it. It feels like a freaking cautionary tale. Wow, teenagers, don't be idiots. Whereas in this case, these actually felt like people of the age they were supposed to be. And, you know, there are certain things that in a Karen Travis, uh, like Imperial Commando sort of way, you would hear the same phrases going through these characters' minds over and over and over and over. Like, oh my god, we've had this conversation before. We don't need to hear this crap again. But that's what teenagers think when they're fixated on a person. Their mind is always fixated on the person, and it's constantly going back to that well of thoughts. So, it made for some really human characters here in a story that I should not have liked at all. But I would say it's probably my favorite of the young adult novels of this entire year. It worked well. Now, does it stand up to Lost Stars? No. But that's also because Lost Stars was putting in a bigger galactic context, and this is basically, oh, let's just put everything on Batu again, right? Um, but it worked for me. For whatever reason, it worked. Um, then Force Collector, ooh, that was one that I wasn't all that interested in at first. I started reading it. I still wasn't all that interested. I kept reading it. Oh my god, I'm still not interested. <laughs> um, and the characters felt like kids bumbling their way through this adventure, I guess you'd call it. Uh, we're going to go do this, we're going to do this. These precocious kids who just ran away from home and took, out, took off on their own or stumbling into these things that they need to progress the story. It felt really like what you would see on like a crappy Nickelodeon show. So I didn't really care. I was just trying to get through the book. <laughs> it was actually the first book that I had in physical form, sold off and bought in digital form so I could actually read the friggin' thing in my stack of stuff that I haven't had a chance to read. But then you get to the end. And you and this is gonna I call it a spoiler, I guess. Um, he's learned that his heritage includes a Jedi. And he thinks that his that the that the Jedi in his heritage is dead, and he's going to the last place he was known to be to find more clues, only to find that he is alive, and has been hiding out all this time, while the galaxy's changing around him, and he has no idea, for instance, that the Empire has fallen. He has no clue, and seeing the interaction between them is sort of the "so I did good" kind of of mentality coming out of that um, that grandparent. I guess it was a grandparent, um, was hugely emotionally impactful. You got a book that does the kid attitude really well and the interaction and the fun between the two and the wisecracking between the two well, but otherwise feels like it's just this predictable romp of a story and you're just like, okay, yeah, we get it. I mean, kind of like what A Crash of Fate should have felt like. I kept, I think I said Clash. Crash is the name of the story. Um, 
But then by the end, you get that emotional hit. And I must say, I was actually surprised and kind of happy with how the story ends because it, it's a, it plays out a lot like Jedi Fallen Order in the sense that you think you know where this story is going. And aside from the twist of that that uh, uh, grandparent, that former Jedi still being alive to have the conversation, most of the book is rather predictable. Great grandfather. Okay, great grandfather. But then you get to the end of the book and you expect it to just have this Okay, well, now that he's learned how to do this and he's got this ability, he's going to go off and become a Jedi, or he's going to somehow find his way and meet Rey or something. He's just going to go off, and that's just how it's going to be, you know, because that's where this story always goes when this kind of story is told. Just like, you know, at the end of Jedi Fallen Order, spoilers here, you expect that now that they've got um, the list of all these Jedi or Force-sensitive kids around the galaxy, we're going to hang on to this, and it'll be ready when, you know, Luke needs it or something in the future. And in both cases, they defy that expectation and do something different with their characters and where they go from here. Uh, that I won't spoil in either case. But what is expected doesn't happen, and it feels refreshing at the end because you still get a satisfying conclusion without feeling like you've been cheated. But it's also not something you expected, so it feels a bit fresh compared to really the rest of the story that felt very predictable in many ways. So um, Force Collector is one that I think you'll feel like you were glad you read it once you finished reading it. I don't think like I don't think you're going to feel like you're glad you're reading it while you're reading it. But I think once you're done, you're going to look back on it and, and like the emotional impact that had come from that and the perspective it gives you on the Jedi and how the galaxy saw them post-Order 66, all the way up to a little while before The Force Awakens. Um, just know it's going to feel a bit like a chore as you're first reading it, but you are going to get more out of it by the time it's done. All right, so those are the big categories, right? We've got the adult novels and the young adult novels, but that still leaves young readers and then the guides and the oddball stuff. For young readers from Disney Lucasfilm Press, which was who put out those young adult ones, by the way, we have Pirate's Price, which was part of that Flight of the Falcon series that was books and the uh, Star Wars Adventures line of comics from IDW. We have Spark of the Resistance. We have two Choose Your Destiny, sort of Choose Your Own Adventure type stories, which is an Obi-Wan and Anakin adventure, and then a Finn and Poe adventure. We have two Jedi Academy, sort of parody or whatever you want to call them, series of books. Revenge of the Sis, not Sith, Sis, and Attack of the Furball. We had C-3PO Does Not Like Sand, which I actually got a review copy of, which was odd, because I rarely get uncorrected proofs of kids' books. And then we had the big hardback the Skywalker Saga. So I didn't get a lot of these ones in review copy. Uh, the one I did get was Spark of Resistance, and I did get the Skywalker Saga, the big one of that. Um, the Skywalker Saga was was pretty nice. Like, you know, we get these little, I, I call them little kid books in a sense. And, you know, naturally it's not something that I'm like, yay, for me. But, and I'm sure you're about to have the same experience, uh, Jaina. It just loves them. So, like, you know, anything that's coming for somebody under grade five, uh, right, I, I consider those are sent for Jaina. So we, we read them together and stuff. So that's been something I've been enjoying a lot. Um, you know, when I went and saw The Rise of Skywalker, it didn't sit well with me my first time viewing it. Uh, but when I went and I took Jaina and I took Taylor and I took Gavin and my wife to see it the second time, I got so much more out of watching their interactions uh, that it definitely enhanced my experience. And that's what I get out of these type of books. Um, when we read the saga book, I mean, you know, the only thing about it that I think was irksome was that when they put it out, 
I felt like if they'd have waited three more months, they could have actually had the book that the title claims because it doesn't have anything of episode nine in it. And, you know, the book is the Skywalker saga. And yet you you're missing one vital Skywalker there, one that you don't know is a Skywalker until you watch the movie. So that was, you know, that was, I think, the only thing about the book that was irksome. Um, Spark of the Resistance. um, from it's hard for me because i read that one right before i went into resistance reborn so like there's part of me like the, they were somewhat similar in plot where it felt like you know like a, my memory kind of blurs the two together um but i remember enjoying that one for what it was um you know they were on their own little adventure and they got a distress call and they go to find that out and it leads to a lot of little fun chaos and and it's a short quick book so it's it's a fun little read um, Pirates Price looked interesting, and those Choose Your Own Destinies, I always enjoy those type of books, so I kind of wish I would have got the copies of those. Yeah, this is sort of a mixed bag of a group. I actually haven't read Spark of Resistance yet. I took the dust jacket off, set it aside so I could carry around the book without ruining the dust jacket, um, and yeah, it's a physical book that I have, so I still have not had a chance to even start the thing. It kind of travels around from room to room, and I haven't had a chance to actually do anything with it yet. I'm probably going to have to get that as an ebook if I want any chance, or that'll be a bathroom reader. I don't know. Problem with the bathroom reading thing is because Cade goes in there now and is walking around in the bathroom. He'll pull stuff off of wherever he finds it. But in this case, if I'm not going to sell that off or something once I'm done reading it, who cares, right? Because I have the canon collection now pretty much out the door as well. Um, as far as actually keeping a physical collection. So, whatever. But I will get a chance to read it. I'm looking forward to reading it. It's one. It's the one out of these I actually am most looking forward to reading. I just haven't had a chance to touch it. Uh, Pirate's Price, Flight of the Falcon. I'm interested in reading it. I haven't read Lando's book in that series. I haven't read the Flight of the Falcon books yet, but I have read the comics. And may I say, this feels almost as idiotic in its planning as the Alphabet Squadron TIE Fighter supposed crossover did. Because what you've got instead here with Pirate's Price and with all these Flight of the Falcon things, um, you have this idea, and I don't know about these books. I haven't read the books yet. But in the comics, it's Bazin Natal, the spy from Force Awakens, trying to hunt down the Falcon. And in the process of doing so, running through sort of the history of encounters other people have had with people who have owned the Falcon, including giving us some explanation to some of the people mentioned as previous owners who had it after stealing it, that are mentioned in some of the background for The Force Awakens. Until eventually, you get to the end of the comic arc, and there's a special Flight of the Falcon comic that you figure is the big climax of it, where she's finally supposed to, you know, encounter whoever it is that has the Falcon and blah, 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 right? Only it turns out that, no, that actually happens in Pirate's Price. So unless you read the Lando book, and then the comics, and then Pirate's Price, and then the Capstone comic that's almost more like an epilogue, reading the comics called Flight of the Falcon, or even the one comic specifically called Flight of the Falcon, not just labeled that way, you're not going to be able to make sense of the whole story. It's a really asinine way to do it, quite frankly. Um, Either make it all the story in the comics or make it clear when to read the books in the scope of the comics or something. Give us like a map like you did with the Clone Wars era before the cartoon series came in and smashed continuity in 2008. Give us something so that we know how this is supposed to work. Otherwise... You wind up with, I think, both sides of it. I'm assuming the books don't have as much context without the Bazine stuff from Star Wars Adventures, but then the actual Flight of the Falcon one-shot comic that's supposed to end it makes no sense in light of the other comics because if you haven't read Pirate's Price, you've missed a giant, important, pivotal climax part of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, so Pirate's Price, I'll read it soon. That and the Lando one probably. Maybe reread the comics in digital form. We'll see. 
Uh, Choose Your Destiny, I haven't actually tried out either of those, but I love those types of books. That's actually of the physical stuff I've actually kept from my Legends and Canon Star Wars book collection uh, that is basically all out the door at this point, except for a few things that I decided to keep. One of the things I've kept is all the Choose Your Own Destiny, Choose Your Own Adventure, etc., etc. type of books, because I really enjoy those. be nice if they were a little bit more gamified. Like what we got with, say, the uh, Jedi Dawn and Bounty Hunter books out of the UK from years ago. But I can enjoy them just for being able to have the choices, even if there's no game element to them. Uh, Jedi Academy, never got into that series. Probably never will, so yeah. C-3PO does not like sand. Goofy little story. Kids book. I kept it for Cade. And then I agree with you on the Skywalker saga. What the actual criff? <laughs> for real? You're going to put out a book that's actually a well-written adaptation of episodes one through eight. You're going to put out a book called The Skywalker Saga before Rise of Skywalker comes out and have it end with, like, To Be Continued in Rise of Skywalker? That's not The Skywalker Saga, numbnuts. <laughs> what is your friggin' problem? This is a cash-in, plain and simple, which, which could have been a great book. Add Rise of Skywalker in there and give us a new edition, and I can't imagine they're not going to do that. <laughs> We're going to get a great way of retelling the whole story at once. It's a great little coffee table-sized book. Right. You notice I said coffee table-sized. Not just a coffee table <laughs> book. It's coffee table-sized. It's big. Um, it's so this would have been a great book, and I would have been excited to see it and sh and save it for Cade to read someday if they'd actually included Rise of Skywalker. When they released it, it was stupid. It's It reminds me, I'm, a, I'm the big home video collecting guy for Star Wars, right? I got the book on it, the, a saga on home video. I do the YouTube from his home, uh, the Star Wars home video library stuff. So I think back to when they did the Saga DVD pack and Saga video pack in 2002 that was like, here's the Saga in a pack, and it was episodes one and two. Yeah. Or when they were like, here's your DVD of the Yoda Chronicles, which had three episodes before it became New Yoda Chronicles. Here's the three. Oh, no, sorry. It's actually just the first two. We left out the third one. And in fact, even still today, the only way to get a DVD home video copy in physical media, of the third episode of the Yoda Chronicles, between the original Yoda Chronicles and new Yoda Chronicles, is to get a giveaway promo DVD from Germany that you got if you bought a certain amount of Lego toys from a certain website during certain dates. <laughs> it's ass time. That's, that's, that's like finding out how Palpatine's message came across to the galaxy. After <laughs> Fortnite, right? No, it doesn't make sense. Don't call it the Skywalker Saga because you haven't actually given us the whole Skywalker Saga. It's a lead-up, right? Um, or label it as, you know, it's it's a Skywalker Saga up until or something. I don't know. The saga so uh, far. It makes no sense to release this when they did. None. Unless it was just, we're going to do a cash grab, and eventually... We're going to put out another edition of it, which is something we're going to get to in the next set of, set of categories here, next uh, category. I just, I don't know, Skywalker Saga, ir to an irrational level, just pisses me off. <laughs> because it just feels like somebody behind the scenes was like, hey, let's pitch this book. And they were like, yeah, your deadline is going to be uh, uh, before Rise of Skywalker, so we can release it before Skywalker Saga. And then like the person, the people writing are like, Actually, wait, wait, that doesn't make sense. That, that doesn't just shut up and sit down. We're putting it out. Money, 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 money. It's on our list. We have to hit these books. <laughs> I can imagine some, whoever, I forget who it was that wrote it, but I can imagine the person who wrote it, or the, or the editors of it, getting to the end of it and going, damn it. 
every time they got to the end of it. You know, like you're proofreading it, you're proofreading, you're like, this is actually pretty good. Get to the end. Damn it! Right? And then you pass it along to the next proofreader, like at Lucasfilm, who needs to approve it. They get to the end. Damn it! And somewhere back there, the publisher's like, so it's good, right? <laughs> it's good. It's good for publication, right? <laughs> no, it's not. It's not the Skywalker saga. Whew, anyway, yeah, there's some stupid ass decisions made this year when it comes to certain things. Uh, Skywalker Saga, Flight of the Falcon, Alphabet Squadron. What the hell on all counts? Anyway, okay, so that brings us to the last category here for us, which is the guides and the oddball items. And again, this is cut down to stuff we might just comment upon uh, compared to stuff like sticker books and whatnot and the little kid uh, learn to read type books. So we have the Lego Star Wars Visual Dictionary, New Edition. The Character Encyclopedia, New Edition. Ultimate Star Wars, New Edition, which I don't think has anything to do with the band called New Edition. Um, we have the Rise of Skywalker Visual Dictionary. We have Secrets of the Jedi. We have the Explorer's Guide. We have Collecting a Galaxy, the Art of Sideshow Collectibles. Star Wars Dollar Origami, yes, doing origami with money. The Art of Jedi Fallen Order, the game. Galaxy's Edge, the official Black Spire Outpost cookbook, the Owner's Workshop manuals, those Haynes books, uh, for uh, Rebel Starfighters and for TIE Fighters this year. We have How Not to Get Eaten by Ewoks and Other Galactic Survival Skills, the Alien Archive, the Movie Making Magic of Star Wars, two of those, Creatures and Aliens, and then Ships and Battles, the Be More books, Be More Lando and Be More Leia, and then ILM Industrial Light Magic presents Making Solo, a Star Wars Story. Quite an eclectic group of books here. You know, in general, I'll just say these are the type of books that I would skip on uh, when I was out and about looking for things, for the most part. Um, you know, I, I've come to discover that under Disney canon, the ultimate guides, uh, or the, I mean, not the ultimate guides, the visual guides tend to be definitely a uh, must-have if you want to get certain details that should be in the films. Um, but like, you know, th there's the owner workshop, those Haynes guides, those are always fun and stuff. Uh, I, I just, I'm not a, I don't care about the Lego visual dictionary and things like that. The character ones have become so generic. I mean, these were things that were the bedrock of my collection in a lot of ways. Uh, the chronological or, or the, um, essential guides, the essential guide to continuity, the essential guide to, uh, you know, the Jedi and Sith, the essential guide to ships, all those type of things. I have all of those. And then I got the new revised editions. But somewhere along the line, they just stopped really adding new content. And they just started recycling a lot of the same stuff. Um, the one that I'm really, I think, more interested in is Secrets of the Jedi. I think that that one, it, I don't know, it just sounds like it's got a lot of fun going on to it. But at the same time, being in the oddball and guides books, I'm kind of like thinking content-wise, it's probably pretty weak. <laughs> So I have a few of these, um, but not all. So Making of Solo, nope. I don't tend to go for the Making of books. The Be More Lando or Leia, nope. Movie Making Magic of Star Wars, nope. Uh, Alien Archive, I got, but honestly, I don't remember a whole lot about it. It's, you know, I remember it being decent, but not something that really excited me. I did not pick up that uh, survival guide thing about how not to get eaten by Ewoks, because by the time I saw that in a store and realized I didn't pre-order it, I was already getting the physical books out the door. Uh, I will say those Haynes books, the uh, workshop manuals are cool, but they've always been cool, right? And they're neat to have, but at the same time, you know, they are what they are. Not a lot of story content or anything like that in them. The official Blackspire Outpost cookbook I actually got, and it's was, really cool. 
Um, I haven't had a chance to try a bunch of the uh, recipes in it at all yet, but I'm looking forward to it. The only thing I wish was that they somehow marked um, easily, easily recognizable, which drinks were alcoholic and not. Because I want to try something that I can give to Cade uh, as well, but you have to actually go through the list of ingredients to find out which ones have alcohol instead of them having, you know, be flagged somewhere. You would have thought right. they would have maybe put a note by them somewhere. Um, right. But that was cool. Um, Art of Jedi Fallen Order, I did not pick up. I don't tend to go for the art books for the games. Dollar Origami, same thing. Um, art of Sideshow Collectibles, same thing. The Explorer's Guide was pretty cool. Um, I mean, it's still kind of a weird quasi-in-universe book that's like, here, check out this location, and check out this location. Isn't this location neat? And it feels a little fluffy, kind of like those journals you get, um, like the Ezra Journal or the Sabine Journal and stuff like that, or the Ray you know, Survival Guide or whatever it is. Um, those types of things. Is that the cool thing about the Explorer Guide is you download an app, and it is an augmented reality-enhanced book. Oh. So there are things you'll run into in the book that like make a... Uh, it, it, again, using AR, make like a blueprint of a Star Destroyer appear in the air. Oh, or cool. you click on certain spaces and it it turns your room basically into a star map. And you have to sort of move around the room and, and angle your phone different ways to spot where the planets are to get more information about them. And there are ways to like build up points as you do that. So that was kind of cool. That was actually one that I believe got delayed for me through Amazon for whatever reason. Uh, the Black Spire cookbook also got delayed for me so heavy from Amazon that I wound up canceling my order and going through Barnes & Noble. So it seemed to be in more – I think it was in more demand because it's a Disney thing too, right? Because it's cookbook of stuff you could get at the Disney parks, and people want that who are not just into Star Wars. They're into Disney. So I'm thinking maybe there was just higher demand than is usual for a Star Wars kind of cookbook like Wookie Cookies. Mm-hmm. Um, Secrets of the Jedi, pretty cool. Haven't had a chance to read all of it, but it has the feel to me of like one of those vault editions, like uh, you know, Book of Sith or uh, <laughs> Smuggler's Guide and that sort of thing. It's not in some kind of special case, but it's also a bigger sized book. But it has like little pieces of uh, historical evidence type stuff stuck in it. It's got some cool sourced stuff. It's just a fun book that I'm really looking forward to actually getting to spend more time with in the near future once I'm not making as frantic of phone calls every afternoon for work and I can sit down and look through it while Cade's playing. See, um, I just visual- pulled that one up because I was like, what is that one? Like, because It was like striking with me, and that's one I wish to God I would have got. That's about the same size as the Jedi versus Sith uh, old one, right? The one that, that uh, was like... The old the essential, essential guy? Yeah, it's pretty, yeah. It's pretty large, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, I will yeah, say that, that for that... Tough. Beware, remember, there was a Secrets of the Jedi also back in the Legends continuity as a novel, as a young book, uh, a young reader type book, so make sure it is the one that you're looking for. Um, right. Revenge of the Sith, or Revenge of the Sith, see, I did it, T-R-O-S, and I said R-O-T-S in my head. Um, Rise of Skywalker Visual Dictionary had a lot of great information. It is a cool book. I love these books. But at the same time, this one drives me batty because they are so busy trying not to spoil the first five freaking minutes of the movie that Palpatine actually is back and is alive, that they are unwilling to ever mention that fact, which means that there's a lot of information about the film that is crucial backstory. We want to know, like, how in the hell did Palpatine come back that usually you get in the visual guide and the novelization. Mm. It's not in the visual guide because they weren't willing to touch it. And then we've got, of course, hopefully the not when the novelization comes out a few months from now, we'll get that information. But the visual dictionary this time was not as useful as it often is with these and then lego star wars visual dictionary um i picked those up 
uh, because I just enjoy looking through the Lego stuff, and it's got the little figure and stuff. One of the few things that I actually still kept was all those little Lego books that had the figures in them uh, and that kind of thing. And then the little character encyclopedia and Ultimate Star Wars, new edition, all of those new editions. Um, Ultimate Star Wars is solid, but I will always be find it suspect. Because you may recall that back when they put out the first edition of uh, Ultimate Star Wars, there was some question as to whether or not it maybe contained some legend stuff, because everything you need to know did, too. Um, this seems to be more solid for canon, but I'm still a little suspect on it. But it's a good book. It's nice and huge. Um, had to, of course, buy another copy because it's a new edition. The character encyclopedia drives me a little batty, because they really should call it the movie character encyclopedia. Oh, because yeah. it it doesn't do anything with any of the characters out of the Clone Wars, out of Rebels, out of Resistance, nothing at all. It, instead of including, for instance, Ahsoka or Ezra or Rex, instead it's like, here's background character number three. <laughs> you know, we've given him a name. He has a name. So look, let's go into all detail with this guy. And I so, guess that's cool in a sense if you want to pick out the background characters in the films. But if it's really a character encyclopedia for Star Wars, not just the films, but Star Wars, <laughs> it should include those. But I guess they think that it just doesn't look right seeing the animated characters alongside the live action characters in a book like this. So for whatever reason, they don't touch them at all. And it makes for a character encyclopedia that feels like. You know, it's kind of like if I if I assigned somebody a project to look into the I don't know to look into like World War Two and do a project on World War Two, and they gave me all kinds of stuff about the U.S. and all versus the Nazis and the war in Europe, but they left out any mention of Japan <laughs> at all, right? Because you're getting part of it, so it's complete for this element of what you're looking for. Right. But it does yeah, not perfect. feel like it is complete for the whole of what it is purporting to be because like it's missing snap. this whole other element. Do they have a section on Snap and it just has all his movie appearances but nothing about his past? <laughs> I mean, they touch on a little bit of it, but I mean, in that case, that's just background little notes off to the side with a picture of the live action actor. I, I really do think that it's a we don't want live action and animation characters side by side in the same guidebook because it would look weird. But that's a stupid reason to have a book that feels this incomplete. Um, and, of course, every time they do one of these, they're shuffling out some old characters and shuffling in some new ones to make sure that some of the newer characters from the newer films get in there. But, again, if it's background character number three or include Kanan, include friggin' Kanan. But, sorry, can't animation. Um, and if there's one thing that drives me nuts about all three of these... It's the same thing that's driven me nuts in the past with some Star Wars books, uh, and it's why I'm not going to do this to people with a saga on home video when the second edition launches. And that is, I'm going to call it a freaking second edition. This, these are the Lego Star Wars Visual Dictionary, Character Encyclopedia, and Ultimate Star Wars New Edition. Really, that name's going to age well, especially when you put out another edition. So I don't know. I mean, I, I get the idea they want to denote that it's something that is new. It's not the old copy, so it's updated with new information. And sometimes they call things updated edition or expanded edition and then put out another one like with Star Wars year by year. And that's gotten confusing as to which one's actually which. Just give us a numbered freaking edition so we know what the hell we're looking at so that 10 years from now, we don't have the new edition, the newer edition and the newest edition. Um, they got to come up with a better naming convention than New Edition, because that may work well for marketing at the moment that they're released, and maybe that's all they give a crap about. 
But looking back on it and looking at these year after year as you have multiple different versions of the same book, it's really kind of a pain in the ass and idiotic to name it the way that they're naming it if you're looking at it from a holistic publishing line perspective where there are going to be multiple revisions of the same book. Give each edition a unique name or just give it a something-something edition where the something-something is a friggin' number. Because every time you call it new edition or updated edition and then put another one that's going to have to say something similar as part of the name to denote that that's even newer, you're going to confuse the hell out of people every time. Every single time. More so than having Legends books being published right next to canon. Which, now that the saga uh, of Skywalker is over, maybe, just maybe, we might see that down the road. I doubt it. They've got a banner on them, damn it! It says it! <laughs> right? Legends, right they, there! They make it a little more in your face, and that's definitely what they're going to need to do. Um, you know, I, I think... I want to say it felt like a solid year, but... No, I will. I'm going to say it was a solid year because really this is about what we're getting right now when it comes to stories. And I think that, you know, if you take that into consideration that the stories have been less, you know, eventful, uh, you know, more character based and stuff like that. And if that's the new norm, then I think that, yeah, this was a solid year for for Star Wars books. Um, You know, it's not one of those years where you get just this this massive book that everybody needs to drop what they're doing right now, go and read this book. You know, we haven't had that yet. I'm, I'm really hoping that the rise of Skywalker novelization is going to be one of those where it's like, go out, get that book and read it. Oh my God, it's going to make the movie so much better for you. I mean, that's what I want again is something like that because like, that's definitely, you know, the thing that I'm missing when I'm reading these books and then I turn around to do this review and I'm just like, wait, what did happen? If it wasn't for the fact that I took such detailed notes, some of these I would just totally not remember. And I mean, you know, Alphabet Squadron had so many characters that yeah, I just I couldn't attach to any of them. Um, and I think that that's a big problem. But then I'm watching the film, you know, episode nine and I watch, you know, spoiler alert, snap goes down. And I mean, I'm sobbing and I'm just like, holy crap, Chuck Wendig made me cry over a character. He made me actually give a rat's <laughs> like I was impressed. I was not Im- I was not anticipating that. So, uh, you know, I'm hoping for more stories that give me that kind of a pull where I don't want to set it down. Um, I, I really got that that way with Force Collector, Master and Apprentice. I mean, so the. It's happening, um, but I, I just I feel like across the board there's just been a lot of missed opportunities. When you've got a mountain of opportunities in storytelling right now, with you know not just the the cherry picking of legends because you could take any element from that and retool it in a new way to make these stories even better. And I just feel like they're just playing it safe time and time again. I'm ready for some risk, baby. Let's do this. Amen. Yes, we definitely need more risk. More. I don't want to say originality. Originality is not the right word, but more willingness to allow stories to be told outside of just let's lead into this film that's coming out. Let's lead in and tie into this theme park or this TV series that's coming. Um, Give us the ability to tell stories that are not constrained by those things and seen as sort of just product tie in lead in type things, as opposed to stories that are able to be stories in and of their own right. Um, I think this definitely was a year that was, yeah, it was kind of, eh, right. It was kind of par for the course. Par is not going to get you to, you know, Tiger Woods level. Of course, you're probably also not going to be chased by your wife with a, a golf club either. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, Par is just not going to cut it in, in the long run, except for the fact that, you know, we're Star Wars fans and we want to devour everything and know everything, which means we can keep buying stuff that is not necessarily of the greatest quality and they can keep putting it out because we are part of the problem. We are going to keep consuming it as consumers. Um that said, I feel like in the adult novels, 
you know, they had a couple of particularly good ones that were surprising that were good. Um, we had the absolute stinker, in my opinion, of Alphabet Squadron. And I must say that uh, I'd love to see them do more audio drama type stuff like Dooku Jedi Lost. And I think having the script book out there helped uh, as a way for people who didn't get the audio drama to have a chance to partake in the story. And also to something that is a nice companion piece for those who have the audio drama to be able to sort of read along with it, like an adult version of a read-along book. So I hope they do more of those, though I know the production costs must be through the roof. And then I really am glad that they brought in uh, Rowan Horse. Um, for yeah, Resistance Reborn, yes, yes. that we have a new author that hopefully will write some more for Star Wars with the same approach, who was given the opportunity to write for Star Wars and decided to do it right in what those of us who love the Legends continuity for so many decades see as the right thing, which is the you know Marvel hashtag it's all connected type thing that really means all, not just connected to the films and the shows. But let's connect it to other books. Let's connect it to other comics. Because, hey, these things just happened to these characters just recently. If we're going to use the characters, we need to acknowledge that context and acknowledge that this is an ongoing story for them. With young adult stuff this year, I think we had a pretty solid year. Um, There wasn't a lot of it. Um, I feel like it wasn't the high point of young adult novels. We've seen stuff that really stood out to me more than these before like uh, the Jen Erso book or uh, Lost Stars, for instance, but uh, they were pretty solid, Um, more solid and consistent than the adult books. The adult books kind of had great great highs and great lows, whereas the the young adult stuff was all kind of right around the same little kind of you've passed the course kind of level. Uh, (laughs) Young reader stuff, a mixture of, you know, kind of oddball stuff. I don't know that there was anything that really stood out other than the idiocy of Skywalker Saga. Um, and then the guides and oddballs, we had some good stuff. We had some weird stuff. We had probably one of the more varied years of stuff. I mean, we had a friggin' cookbook. We had a book with AR in it. We have art books. Um, we have behind-the-scenes movie-making books. We've got Lego stuff. We've got new editions of guidebooks that we've seen previous editions of that have now been updated. Um, but I don't know that this would really be a year that in any way was spectacular in any of these categories. It was just kind of there. It, it wasn't a terrible year. I'm not even sure I'd call it a bad year. No. But I'm also not sure I could call it a good or a great year either. I kind of feel like it's right there, par for the course, just moving along, um, kind of coasting on its own merits right now. And I would hope that now that Rise of Skywalker is done and we're about to get its novelization soon um, – that maybe now is the time to start taking more chances because it'll be a little bit before we have another film. And maybe the new films we're going to start seeing are going to be in a different enough era that they can start taking chances maybe with some of these characters. But for right now, there's still a lot of promise that's not yet fulfilled yet. I'm looking forward to maybe us being able at some point to do an episode like was suggested recently where we sort of compare, and it wouldn't be a fair comparison, so we'd have to lay that out at the beginning, but a comparison of sort of like the post-Return of the Jedi stuff uh, in particular with uh, canon versus legends and the approaches that it, that were taken in each and kind of make a comparison between them. Because I feel like we would see that, for lack of a better term, the Star Wars universe in even early publishing in legends, early, you know, 90s into the very early 2000s, um, was big in scale in, in terms of, you know, it felt like the galaxy was large. Right. Except for sometimes characters who knew each other. It was kind of like, wow, small world. <laughs> and it feels like really right now, Star Wars is much smaller than it used to be in terms of scale, 
and what they're willing to do with it outside of the movies and TV shows that are really expanding it well. But Star Wars publishing really, really feels small right now, and that's unfortunate because there's so much potential there. I just remember last year, you know, feeling like Disney Lucasfilm Press really was the top tier of all the books, right? That like I felt like they really were doing a better job of providing material that resonated with what I was interested in. Uh, this year, I felt like you know they were, like, as you said, par on the course. They had about as many good as they did subpar. But I think that by adding Rebecca Roanhorse and having Claudia Gray and Zahn has definitely helped Delray this year kind of make up for the what I felt was a pitfall last year. Like I felt like there were a lot of missed opportunities in the books that we got last year. Whereas this year, I felt like there was a, definitely a lot more better quality stories, even though they weren't exactly what I was looking for. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm in that same boat with you, my man. Uh, you have any other final thoughts here before we blaze on out of here like we're about to do a hold on maneuver? Uh, better be careful because apparently that's a one in a million thing you can only do once we're not going to be able to do a hold on maneuver out of the next episode or the one <laughs> after um no i just i think this was an okay year wasn't great wasn't bad um i look forward to our chance to talk about the comics because there was a whole lot more of them uh and then uh to get a chance to then talk about sort of the oddball stuff of the year because between you know, video games, tabletop games, uh, movies, TV series, uh, events. There's actually a lot of stuff happening within Star Wars this year outside of the books and comics, uh, which will give us uh, a fun episode there. Sometimes that last episode of the three or four or whatever it winds up being feels a bit light, but uh, certainly won't be happening like that this year. now that about wraps up this episode of star wars beyond the films we'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us and sharing the fandom as we ponder on uh, remember you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the star wars report website second airborne division of podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com Episodes are also available on Stitcher and iTunes, as well as Spotify. You can also uh, leave us a review for the show while we're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in your search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It's literally the best way to interact with us. It's our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you guys have any Star Wars or Legends questions, or if you want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can always email us directly at SWBeyondFilms at StarWarsFanWorks.com. That's also the same email that we will be collecting all your feedback for our feedback episode coming up here shortly. Now, lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention to you our Audible trial. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash starsreport, you get a free trial run of audible.com to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars expanded universe or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate because Audible members can exchange any book within 12 months, that's one year, with no questions asked. How great is that? So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making that switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So once again, for Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying, thanks for listening and may the force be with you. And don't quote us the odds that they'll let the people who planned Skywalker Saga be the ones to plan out any eventual home video release of The Mandalorian Season 1 and they'll give us a season set of only Episodes 1 through 7.
Stupid! You're so stupid! You know me, I'm, I'm still odds and on. Are we getting legends? Are we gonna continue legends now? It's been five years! Come on, you bastards, give me the goods! I need to know about Kena and I need to know about Ben Skywalker! <laughs> now, now, it hasn't been five years. It it's like been six. <laughs> oh, damn it! <laughs> oh, shoot. It's 2020 now, buddy. It's been six years. Oh, God. Sorry. <laughs>